Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's been a week of so-called theatrics in Parliament. We've got two new independent MPs and an official ruling out of a working relationship between National and Te Pāti Māori. And it's budget season. Ko Lillian Hanley Tokuingwa, I'm Lillian Hanley, the One News political producer, and with me to discuss all this are the most witty and sarcastic of New Zealand political reporting. Correct. Felix. Felix Demaray, digital political reporter. Benedict Collins. Kia ora, Koshla here. <laughs> <laughs> Love this. Such formal and not formal introductions. Into it though, big news this week. National leader Christopher Luxon officially, unequivocally, absolutely won't be changing his mind at all, ruled out Te Pāti Māori as a coalition partner. Benedict, why is this so significant, ruling someone out before an election? Yeah, I guess it's the strongest kind of language that we've seen from him on it. Um, although, you know, he had for a long time been saying he could, couldn't really possibly see how he could possibly work with them. And uh, vice versa, Te Pāti Māori has, you know, for a long time said, hey, we've got no real interest in working with the Nats either. So it wasn't a, you know, I mean, it was kind of interesting that he came out and was much more forceful um, than he had been, you know, blanketly ruling it out rather than trying to um, leave a little wriggle room. But I think everyone out there kind of thinks, hey, if the chips fall and it's mighty close, you know, he, he might back off on that, on that uh, avow and may consider them after all. I wouldn't be surprised to see that if the chips do land that way at the election. Just very opportunistic timing, wasn't it? I mean, yes. he'd said highly unlikely, and I'd read a little interesting tidbit um, in the post where apparently he was overheard talking to a dairy farmer saying, oh, we won't work with them, but the, the team sort of had to downplay it before we got this formal announcement yesterday. But um, Luxon didn't, you know, confess that to this being a strategic political move, he wouldn't go there. But clearly, you know, they've been sitting on this email. I imagine it's been drafted for quite some time that they would drop at an opportune moment of sort of the unravelling and chaos that we've seen. So there was a, a little bit of a um, theatrics, although they accuse Te Pāti Māori of some theatrics in the House. Yeah. There was clear theatrics on the blue side too, wasn't there? Well, it's a... It's a Funny place to throw stones in Parliament, talking about theatrics, you know, like... Grandstanding, sorry, was grandstanding the Grandstanding was yeah. the exact phrase, but yeah, well, yeah everybody I, does it. I think what is really interesting here, and that maybe people haven't really picked up on, is here, the King of England may well have changed the face of New Zealand politics. You know, everyone says, says he doesn't get involved in New Zealand politics, <laughs> but Christopher Luxon came out in that press conference and said he thought it was so disrespectful to Party Māori uh, doing their little karakia or porphyry or people are giving it different names, um, and interrupting the um, tribute from Parliament to the King that he immediately ruled out working from them. So there you go, monarchy uh, getting involved in New Zealand <laughs> politics. Influence from afar. Yeah. And the monarchy has also influenced sort of Nicola Willis's take because at um, National's announcement yesterday, she stood in and said, look, just some reflection right here. You want to take a look at what Party Māori's um, priorities are right now, it's dethroning um, or removing the head uh, of state, the as, British monarchy yeah. as our head of state. So, yeah, the monarchy is clearly quite influential. <laughs> so, there has been quite a, quite a few, I suppose, happenings around this, though. Let's let's go back though to Tuesday because that's kind of where it all kicked off, um, and that sort of talk of of grandstanding, I suppose. Well, let's get into that. But it happened, like you say, after an eventful return um, to the House by Mecca Whaiteri. Felix, you were in the House for all of this. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, so it was 
it felt like there was this. I mean, there were quite a lot of the gallery. You know, came um, the press gallery. That Highly is. anticipated moment. Yeah, you might yeah. Say. A lot mm. of us were there to see what would what would go down. And it was pretty interesting the way. Um, I think um, Te Party Māori were quite hopeful of ha- really having their moment coming into the house with Mika Whaiteri, um and um, you know bringing her into their fold. But it looked like. Labour tried to sort of steal their thunder a little bit by um, Chris Hipkins, Prime Minister, standing up and um, doing point of order for a correction on something he'd said, which was, you know, um, quite conveniently timed to to mean that Rawiri Waititi and Mika Whaiteri were standing in the door of Parliament and they didn't have their for big quite a moment. While, yeah, right? Awkwardly standing there um, in full view of the press gallery, um, sort of politely waiting their turn. And, th- and then they had, then they, they came in and... Um, and all of that. Um, and then also, of course, um, I don't know if we're getting to it yet, but then um, Mika Whaiteri had her um, uh, her personal explanation, which sort of fell a bit flat because she wasn't really able to give her explanation. But from what we it was did a bit hear... Life, life history, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what we started getting, you know, into, and then yeah. I was at the freezing works in the University yes. of Life, and, <laughs> and you're going, is this a maiden speech yeah. I've stumbled into? But, um, yeah, so it wasn't... And the speaker ruled that um, out of order because, um, uh, you know, he was saying it's this is not an opportunity for a speech. This is a personal explanation. Didn't seem like Mika Whaiteri wanted to provide too many explanations either in the House or to the to the reporters who were asking her questions all day on Tuesday. That's right, and it's it's kind of been this interesting juxtaposition, at least how I've been kind of watching in the past couple of weeks. We've had these kind of defections of um, politicians to different parties, and you've got the opposition sort of saying, and that came out again during this this week, the, the coalition of chaos in the sense that the opposition's trying to paint at least the government and their po- potential partners as being a part, you know, partners of chaos or coalition of chaos and the past kind of two weeks especially as we are basically trying to figure out one whether you know where Mika Whaiteri was sitting whether she was an MP or not um, when is you know how is Elizabeth Kirikiri kind of coming into this after the sort of shock resignation over the weekend um, and all of this kind of taking place during what was supposed to be question time which has been happening progressively later every day it seems <laughs> as we figure these things out and that kind of again going back to this porphyry process with bringing Mika Whaiteri in there was you know huge numbers in the in the public gallery as well to be there to welcome her in and that sort of again that juxtaposition because there's not often that many people in the, in the public gallery during question time and then there's these kind of Ad hoc, you know the the regular parliament moments, which can be sometimes a little bit boring, perhaps like in the sense procedural. Of, yeah, procedural, yeah. great word. And and then you've got all of these people kind of watching this process unfold and take place. And again, just going back to around the the opposition party trying to take this moment as saying, hey, you guys are totally wasting time. We want to get back to the issues. And yet, then they were talking about. Party Māori, you know, grandstanding or whatever it might be in the moment during the floods, and yet they also want to talk about the king during yeah. the floods. And <laughs> that's what yeah, they were actually talking about: yeah. is acknowledging the coronation, which is, you know, kind of a symbolic thing. It's not an actual debate in Parliament. It's just a going, yep, tick the box, yes, the king was coronated. There was actually some brilliant Crowned. moments. Crowned. I thought, sorry. <laughs> I thought there was some brilliant well, moments. I say, Benedict during... called him the King of England before too, and I was like, you're going to get cancelled for that, mate. <laughs> it's the King of the United Kingdom. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thank you I didn't know that. Felix. Yeah. You're welcome. So I thought there were some other great moments during the um, <laughs> tribute to the uh, to the new king. 
Um, one was um, Nicole McKee's, um, the ex-party <laughs> MP, Nicole McKee's stunning speech. I loved it. Uh, in which she happened to have several hundred facts about um, King Charles and King Charles' predecessors, including some of my uh, favourite things that she said. Um, one, that he loves eggs. Two, that he has a frog named after him. <laughs> yeah, true um, frog. <laughs> uh, so people were like, absolutely like, quite enjoying her speech. And then after that, in complete contrast, um, James Shaw, co-leader of the Greens, got up and said, um, Greens aren't that keen on the uh, monarchy, you know, would much rather New Zealand be a republic, said, uh, on behalf of the Green Party, I, I wish them well and thank you and sat down. At which point, all of Mecca Whaiteri's supporters sitting up in the gallery gave, a, gave him a round of applause. <laughs> so I thought that was, um, yeah, all, all, all good stuff there. In and the, lots uh, of interaction, in yeah. Yeah, Between. good fun. Also, I was kind of thinking as an aside that uh, is it a fun fact about the king that he likes eggs? I feel like it's a fun fact if he doesn't like eggs because I think most people... I actually <laughs> know quite a few people that don't like eggs. I also find it strange, but it's a thing. But yeah. hey, Another highlight, I thought, from that afternoon, and if anyone's on Instagram, check them out, Robert Kitchen's photos. Mm. Um, he's a mm. photographer, a photojournalist in, um, for stuff in the um, who works out of the press gallery. Wow, some cool photos, especially... After my favourite one that he took there um, was when uh, Rawiri and um, Debinari Wapaka got booted out by the speaker, and he got this photo of the two of them walking out, kind of like they looked like they were like twelve years old, and they're the being the kicked out. Face back to the camera, the, the, right? Yeah, yeah. They were walking out to the door together, and it was like they were off to the principal's office because they'd been told off. It was such a great photo. Yeah, yeah, the Instagram account's Robert Kitchen, and it's Kitchen spelt with an I N, not an E N. Yeah. Do you want to? I think we should. Uh, the continuing on from this, obviously, is is this kind of the grandstanding or not grandstanding? And so, just again touching on the fact that yeah, the National Party sort of took that opportunity or used that situation in the House on the Tuesday, and then came out on Morning Report on the Wednesday morning, and it, again, yeah, the first time to really formally rule out working with the Maori Party, um, and then yes, put out a press statement a few hours later, and then called for a stand up a few hours later. So really. We're trying to make sure that their narrative, that that sort of criticism or accusation of, of chaos continued into another day, despite them calling for a return to talking about policy and issues that, you know, were f- are facing New Zealanders. Which they, they did touch on that a little bit, but they used the, uh, the Te Pāti Māori, you know, sort of controversies and the, the defections as a vehicle, um, you know, to, to bring themselves back into the spotlight for sure. And there was a little bit of sort of back and forth again through through the day because of, um, I think there were some concerns around whether Luxon knew about the voting system. A lot of a lot of talk on Twitter about the fact that, you know, one person, one vote. Yep, OK, yeah. people get two votes. Which has carries strong meaning and strong baggage, right? Saying one person, one vote. Um, and, yeah, and as you touched on there, um, I think it was the Greens Anti-Party Māori um, pointed out that, well, actually you have two votes per person because you've got a party vote and an ele- electorate vote. And if you are a, uh, if you own a property in a um, territorial local authority that you don't reside in, you can vote in in that uh, area where you own a property. So and there are 67 territorial authorities, so it could be... Multiple. 67 mm. votes. Which actually <laughs> was an interesting point, though, that came out of it, right, because Christopher Luxon said he would look at whether he should change that and yeah. acknowledge that yeah. that might be something that needs to be changed. And he's one of the, those people who can vote in other areas because he owns seven properties and... One is in Wellington, one in Auckland, two in Auckland, and we were looking at them. We were just we? looking Kush. up this the other day, yeah. Uh, 
think yeah, definitely more than more than, he can definitely anyway. vote in local yeah. elections in more than one area. Yeah. In any case, I suppose it's like to a one man game of monopoly. <laughs> Uh, just to, to to sort of wrap that up in the sense that once the news from the National Party that they would not work with Te Pāti Māori uh, got through to Te Pāti Māori, they also made the point that they weren't very upset about it. They they sort of didn't mind no. much at all. Um, but I think your point, Benedict, around the kind of skirting around that could could be something that does come up um, in, for question later on because as you know if we're in an MMP environment you kind of do have to keep the door open right isn't that the isn't that the point or is the question here has has Luxon done enough is there enough people who will be happy about not having Te Pāti Māori in power that they will kind of vote for vote for national mm. and that will be their gain that's well, that, I guess that's the that, well, that's the what balance, they're betting right? on right yeah yeah um, but to add another point, I just thought we should talk about Elizabeth Kirikiri resigning on uh, Friday evening because this was another part of the uh, Tuesday uh, grandstanding or theatrics, as it's been called uh, in the House, because Elizabeth Kirikiri, as a newly independent MP, was sitting up the back um, and it was there that Rawiri Waititi <laughs> joined her after giving his seat to Mika Whaititi, uh, but he wasn't there for very long because he did get kicked out of the House and then there were, of course, these sort of questions or um, ideas circling as to whether Elizabeth had been approached by Te Pāti Māori to, to join them. But Kusha, you came in on Saturday morning um, for this stand-up with the Greens co-leaders. What did you make of that? So Elizabeth Kitty Kitty, she resigned, as you say, Lil, Friday night. There was, I don't think it was entirely out of the blue. There has been this investigation hanging over her regarding her misconduct. It all got sparked by the famous crybaby um, misfire to the group chat about a month ago. So that had been hanging over her. Um, there had been also reports, further reports, um, that it just wasn't that sort of isolated event. Yeah, almost um, like non-stop kind of flow of reports, right, of more and more people speaking out against her. Yeah, related to both staff and, and um, MP colleagues and the nature of it sort of being around bad-mouthing. Um, but so there was this Zoom call on a Friday night. The Greens really know how to party when they hold a, a Zoom call at eight o'clock like on a Friday. Four hundred Green members or something, wasn't <laughs> something, it? Yeah, a few hundred were on it. Yeah. Actually, um, on the call, yes, multiple hundreds. Wow, yeah, multiple hundred. Um, Elizabeth, this was Elizabeth Kitty Kitty's call as well. Like she, she was really leading it. Um, she um, spoke for about ten minutes. There wasn't a Q and A. Now, interestingly, she'd actually um, just resigned before that call or, or at the start of that call. Like she'd officially sent the um, the communications to her caucus and party saying, "I'm out," um, but she didn't tell the people mm. on that call. Um, so there were people on that call that, that knew she'd resigned and were sort of waiting for the penny to drop for the big tell-all. And, yeah, it, it didn't happen. But, yes, we got a formal statement later that evening. Um, and then the following Saturday, the co-leaders gave a, a stand-up on the tiles. It was a bit deja vu because, you know, Carmel Cipollone and Calvin Davis had just done a stand-up on the tiles like five days earlier. About you Mika Whaiteri. About yeah. Mika So um, they they were very um, 
very careful, very careful in their language. They didn't want to go anywhere near, like, the word bullying. You know, I said, would you characterise this as bullying? No, there's, you know, still a process. So the investigation hasn't closed just yet. They still want to hear from people. Um, and they were rather rather gracious and said that this is her decision, her call. The big question um, a lot of us had was, so Elizabeth Kitty has chosen, well, for a start, I should back the truck up because um, the Green Party are not going to walker jump her, so they're not mm. going to um, remove her from Parliament entirely because they oppose that law. They actually want to get it repealed. So they won't do that to her. Even though they voted for it. Even though they voted for it, correct. Um, and so the question, my question was, well, um, you know, do you agree, d- d- does she have a mandate to still be an ind- independent? Because unlike Mika Faitere, Elizabeth Kitty doesn't represent an electorate. She's a list MP, yeah. She's a list MP. A Greens list MP, or was a Greens list MP, right? Was. Yeah. So what is she now? She's... She's an, an independent listening. Yeah. What did yeah. they say to that? Question? Well, they said that that was that's for her, you know, to decide. And I spoke to um, a political commentator about this, um, Lara Greaves, and she thought when you become a list MP, we, an independent list MP, it does get increasingly harder to justify your presence there. Uh, on the taxpayer salary in Parliament for the next five months. And we actually had to think about who was the last person like this? I think it's Brendan Horan. If you cast your mind back to where the presenter... He was a New Zealand first MP, wasn't he? Yes. So it's been a while. There's been, um, of course, uh, Jamie Lee Ross, but he did represent an electorate, and Gaurav Sharma, but he did represent an electorate. So this is quite, in a way, quite rare. But Lara Greaves' take was, well... Perhaps, and we haven't heard this from Elizabeth Kitty Kitty yet. Perhaps you might say, "Well, I'm representing um, the the rainbow community because she has done a lot of work in that space." And I asked um, Madame Davidson, "What what was her biggest contribution? Do you think to the Greens?" And she did think it was driving that um, petition to end conversion therapy. therapy. And I think some of the work she's done within the party, I suppose, in, in constitutional change within that space, I think that's something that she speaks proudly of. Um, but yes, it's a, it's it also changes the allocation, I think, on on questions and things like that. She will, as an independent MP, get to have time in Parliament, you know, making speeches or questions and things like that. And whether she, I guess, it's, remains in a select committee role, things like that have to be kind of worked out. But she's, she, she is still there and she's still part of the running of, of the wider system. I would also expect, too, it's not a rule as such, it's a convention, but she, as an independent MP, she is essentially a leader. So I would expect that she should come across the tiles and be, face questioning, um, you know, every sitting day like every other leader apart from on Thursdays when they don't they're not there when most leaders <laughs> are not there but I mean sort of she has also confirmed she's not going to to party Māori Elizabeth Kitty and in that statement she did say she'll retire at the end um at election time I thought that was interesting if she is closing the book on her career and what I'm really curious about is what she is hoping to achieve in that final time, you know, because obviously there's 
she's taking um, you know taxpayer funded salary in that time so obviously um, constituents whoever they may be now it's unclear um, you know will be expecting that they get bang for their buck in well, that respect. you know I mean it'll be very hard for her to do anything now right mm. there's something like 35 sitting days left or something isn't there right yeah yeah um, so it'll be very hard um, another kind of interesting couple of things that I, I thought happened this week um, back on the Chaotic Coalition? No, what is it? The coalition, coalition of Chaos. Coalition of Chaos. Um, some people have been pointing out um, it might be very hard for National and ACT to actually form a government without New Zealand first. Um, so they could have a rather chaotic coalition of their own. <laughs> uh, and, which, yes, and, um, and ACT will not work with New Zealand yeah, and, first. And, and hate, unless they apologise. David Seymour hates uh, Winston <laughs> Peters. Uh, and that's very, it's a very mutual um, feeling. Um so he, be, he's laid out some conditions, right, for in order to be able to work for work with New Zealand First. He wants he wants Winston Peters to apologise for some things. So I can just see that. Yeah, Winston yeah, um, bowing and apologising to David Seymour. Um, but uh, to be clear, he, he, what, David what, Seymour did say he didn't want an apology for himself. He wanted it for the people of New Zealand. So just to clarify that point. Okay, mm. right. Brings me to my favourite one of my favourite moments of this week, and that was a grab from. Um, or a, a soundbite that um, Jessica Much Mackay used in her track last week about Mecca Fytiti. Um And that was from um, Winston Peters' good friend Shane Jones, who described Mecca Fytiri as a political mutant. Um, at which point I was sitting on the couch and just about sprayed out a mouthful of budger mix that I was eating. Um, I, I do like a savage political burn, and I thought that was brilliant. Spicier yeah. than the butcher mix. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of spice, I have to say I felt yesterday in the house spice levels were high. And <laughs> we love it when spice levels are high. We do. It sort of felt like the election is here. We're we're gearing up. We're on the cusp of that. Just also with you know the nationals theatrics of the press conference outside the national banner. You know that wasn't on the tiles. It was the national banner, and then in the house. This is in general debate. You had Megan Woods, then uh, Chris Bishop, and then Karen McAnulty all back back to back, and they were pretty savage with each other. Um, Megan Woods, she got up first of all, and she she must be a bit of a movie buff because she was talking about trilogies, um, and she was likening National to Back to the Future. And following her was Chris Bishop, and he got up and he said, "Oh." The energy minister, that was a low energy performance from the energy minister. And it, and it really wasn't. She was actually very fiery. And then um, he got stuck into Labour. And then Karen McAnulty got, got up and he said that was a shocker of a performance from Chris Bishop. Um, and was this during general debate? This is all in general debate. So let's play um, a bit of the, a few clips of the, the spice in the house yesterday. Back to the Future Part 4, starring the protagonist gloomy Christopher Luxon and his sidekick negative Nicola Willis. And here they are set, intent, to take us backwards, pack back to a dystopic future. Well, Megan Woods was meant to be the Minister of Energy. That was about the most low-energy speech I've ever seen to lead off the general debate from the Labour Party. Her heart wasn't in it and you can see the fire in their eyes going out as the weeks go by. As I wait for the smattering of claps after that appalling speech, 
And a shocking speech, actually. And if that is the future of the National Party, I don't think this side of the House has anything to worry about. No wonder that member lost his seat. What a shocker. He had five minutes to outline to the country what his party is going to do for New Zealand, and he didn't give us jack. It is budget season. Uh, and this morning, Finance Minister Grant Robertson made uh, his first pre-budget speech. There's going to be one tomorrow morning as well. Um, there were a couple of oh, another budget-related um, announcement though. Early in the week, Defence got a big boost of around four hundred million dollars over four years uh, for pay rises, basically to try and stem um, or lower attrition rates. And there's a few hundred million for upgrading equipment as well. Uh, but this morning, the finance minister outlined his priorities for the budget, and these include, uh, and these are his words, not mine, supporting New Zealanders with the cost of living, delivering the services New Zealanders rely on, recovery and resilience, including economic resilience and f- fiscal sustainability. Um, so quite a sort of... A bit of a signal there around the kind of tightening, which we've already sort of seen and we've already heard this um, both from the Prime Minister as well, around kind of tightening uh, the belt, tightening the books. Um, we spoke last week about the fact that the government's going to have to do this given everyone else is having to do this. Um, but he also announced today, Robertson, uh, that the government managed to find $4 billion in savings thus far in the budget process. And some of that money we already know about, for example, the canned merger. But there'll be other bits and pieces that we won't find out until next week. But what's clear is there's been a process of weighing up priorities, basically a real kind of signal to telling his ministers, you know, find things that we can cut, essentially, to kind of reallocate or reprioritise that money. Um, He also took a dig at the Nats, who responded in kind, (laughs) saying, uh, Nicola Willis came out saying that his speech read like a resignation letter, um, a resignation letter from a a finance... It's a cracking line, it's great. A resignation letter from a finance minister who is resigned to the fact that he does not have what it takes to restore discipline to government spending. So I guess in the sense that they think four bill was probably still not enough. Felix, you were also at the speech. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting that he did have a go at the opposition. As I understand it, that is kind of a rare thing for him to do at that speech. Um, So that was pretty interesting. Um, But obviously the opposition weren't um, backwards and coming forwards about having a go at him as well. So uh, we had uh, the ACT Party come out and say, look... Um, is that like is that all you can do really? You know, four billion, four billion. That is over four years, so it's a billion a year. Is that all you can find? That's only one percent of the government's budget. And um, David Seymour said he thinks that's embarrassing. Um, that that's all they could find down the back of the couch. Um, yeah. Uh, just a, just a general sort of sense, though, and I felt like there was very much that kind of it's a it's a measured approach, right? They're very much trying to have this kind of balanced approach to this they know that everyone is struggling and finding it hard they know that they're in debt and that they've got to kind of limit their spending um but they want to show that they're still thinking about the future and there was a reference today too to the well-being budget which we haven't really heard like we haven't had talk about the well-being budget for a while yeah it was really something that they heralded in the first few years and now it's kind of like well, it's just a little bit of a reference. Well, it was a footnote. It was like, yeah, this, uh, I mean, it wasn't even in his actual speech. Uh, he did say well-being, um, but he was referring to those earlier budgets. Um, it was only in the press release that he put out that he said this is a well-being budget, as if to sort of say, no, we're, st- we're no, still no, we're, we're still, still on the copapa, you know, this is still our thing. Um, but obviously all of that language has is, is shifted around 
um, you know, fiscal sustainability and, and you know, a- addressing the cost of living, finding savings. Um, and I did ask um, Grant, uh, the finance minister, Grant Robertson, um, you know, you're, you're framing this like it's, it's about fiscal sustainability, but you're also saying it's a well-being budget. Which one is it? And he was saying, well, to me, they're the same thing. Mm. We shall see. We shall find out in one week. Shall we do our pits and peaks, Felix? Sure. Um, so my peak is just this the spicy bougie mix of politics that's uh, coming <laughs> coming out. It really feels like an election year now. We had Christopher Luxon come out with the uh, the national. Um, you know, branded board behind him. I was like, right, this is an election year now. It really feels like it's happening. Um, so that's exciting. And then um, my pit, uh, <laughs> my pit um, <laughs> is uh, Mika Faitere's statement, um, her personal explanation in the House. I think she had an opportunity there to explain, keyword explain, to the public what had happened and why. She didn't take it. That's why it was ruled out of order by the Speaker. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're all the poorer for it. I would have liked to have heard what she had to say if she was going to say it. Two peaks this week. Happy days. Listeners to um, Breakfast might recognise these words. You're on air, you're on air, you're on air, you're on air, you're on air. As Jenny May uh, tried with, uh, without luck to stop her uh, colleague, Madam McLean, dropping the F-bomb um, during, during the news on Breakfast this week. I quite enjoyed watching that. Uh, another highlight... And it wouldn't be a political podcast if we didn't talk about the Warriors. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> of course. Look, a lot of... This lot, has been a highlight for you this week, bringing sports into Parliament. Look, a lot of debate about whether they're getting a whole run of unfair calls. Everyone's been weighing in on it after their chief sponsor came out um, and accused the refs of cheating um, and quickly backtracked on that, but asked the uh, NRL to look at the data, whether we are on the end of um, too many um, bad calls. I hit the sports minister, Grant Robertson, up about that on caucus run this week. I said, what do you make of this? And he said, well, he doesn't get to watch every game, but the games he has watched, he he does believe that the Warriors um, fans might have a point when they complain about um, a lot of decisions going against them over in Australia. Then I also asked national sports spokesperson, and you might ask who that is, and that is Michael Woodhouse, who also happens to have been a rugby referee for quarter of a century. Wow! Um, yeah, and Mr. Woodhouse told me that he uh, has been thinking about this quite a lot, and he believes the NRL should indeed look into the data to see whether or not the Warriors are constantly getting ripped off. And just for you guys, just to let you know, Aussie Felix over here is a fan of the Rabbits. (laughs) Well, I was going to point out too, actually, like the Warriors coach, I believe, pointed out, is that uh, those uh, referee calls will go their way if they play better. Go the Rabbitohs. Tush. And no wonder Michael Woodhouse was a referee, because he's a bit of a referee in the house as well. Stickler stickler. for the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And knowledgeable, though, in the sense that... And very knowledgeable. There's a few people in the house that really know the rules, and yeah, that's very Mm. useful at times. I don't know if this is a pit or a PK. I actually always get them quite confused, even though they're at polar opposite ends of the spectrum. But just an observation, I think. The sort of sweet, sweet irony around National complaining about one party grandstanding and then <laughs> doing a bit of a song and dance itself. Um, and then the potential sweet, sweet irony for also facing its own little coalition of chaos as well with ACT and New Zealand First. And, and I love how they point out, oh, look, you know, Mecca Fighteri, oh, you know, um, Elizabeth Kitty Kitty. Oh, look how badly behaved they are. Are we playing bloody pot and kettle here? You know, I mean, 
the National Party doesn't have to look too deep into its ranks to find a whole bunch of misfits either, does it? Or yeah. too far back in its history to find a little bit of chaos. My pit and peak, my peak is that it's budget day in one week, and my pit is also that it is budget day in <laughs> one week. And I You've got all our talent lined up for the day, haven't you? A lot of do. Uh, so we're going to leave it there. That was our One News Inside Parliament, your peak behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Do you have a burning political question? Want to hear more from us on a particular topic? Send your feedback to insideparliament at tbnz.co.nz. Head to onenews.co.nz for more insight and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. One News Inside Parliament is available on all good and even average podcasting apps where you can also leave us a rating. To finish off, a big thank you to our recording team, Brian and Lisa. Hey, Te Wiki, catch you all next week. 